Podcast One production. The truth about starting a business, crafting a career, having a family, and managing to fit it all in. Superwomen, we ain't. From the founder of Boost Juice, Janine Ellis, and leading executive and career coach, Margie Hartley. So you have a great idea, Janine. It feels exciting. You've got to execute on it now. That's when it can feel like climbing Everest. So over the last 18 years, you have created a $3 billion turnover business with all of these stores called Boost Juice. You have extended businesses throughout the world. So what are the fundamentals of getting started? I think the three key things you need to consider is people, planning, and courage. And courage is a really important one because the reality is four out of five businesses fail in the first five years. That's a lot. Well, if you think about even my journey, I mean, the first three businesses I started, which was like a coupon check gifting business, a um, publishing business, and a touring comedian business, all three failed. Did I lose a house on them? No, but enough money to hurt. And even with my experience with Shark Tank, you know, People look at Shark Tank and they think it's this game show. It's actually real business. And in real business, some of them work out and some of them don't. I've already had some of those investments fail because that's what business is. It doesn't always work out. One thing guaranteed in business is you need to be a problem solver because things will go wrong. You know, planning. You know, you don't get into a car and if you don't know the destination, business is the same. And obviously there's people. So the fundamentals, you're talking about people planning and courage. Tell me a bit about the people piece. The best way to be successful in business is to marry well. Really? And funnily enough... People go... Now, now, this is going to be controversial, you know, this now, statement. That, yeah, and look, and people have, have... And I've said this before and people have gone, I'm a single woman and I've done well and I've... Yeah. But then a lot of people come in and go, I agree. And it's different for everyone. Does it mean if you're a single female or a single male, you can't actually be successful? Of course you can. You can be successful if no matter what. But imagine if you're in a relationship and you want to sell your family home to put it all into the business that you've actually spent 20, 10 years getting and the partner says no. Or you you have to risk everything you've got and the partner says it's not going to work. Or you come home and they go, you bloody, you know, this is all the money's going out. Da, da, da. And I've seen it. And, the, and all of those examples are real examples of people I've come across who haven't had the support. And I look at my husband and, you know, <laughs> he's a very strong male. But he had his hand in the middle of my back, pushed me forward and said, you can do it. He had more belief in my capabilities than I ever did. So and the s- idea, if, I, if I'm listening to you and about marrying well, it's actually, it's great to have a partner and, you know, whatever that means for people. But it sounds more like you've got someone who believes in you yeah. and who's supporting you, whoever and, that might be. And that's correct. Yeah. And, and it's, it's surrounding yourself with great people. You know, mine happened to be my husband, could be a sister could be a business partner, could be a mother, could be someone, but it's you have someone that goes, I'm with you on this. You can do it. Because there is times when you rock quietly in the corner and you go, it's just too freaking hard. And team Janine. So you've got a group of people who really believe in you. I didn't always like that term when they used to put it up with Leighton Hewitt when he was out playing tennis, but mm. it is about having a group of people who really believe in you and support you. Mm. So, yeah. 
Well, my grandmother didn't believe in me. She, she just went, women can't do that because that was her era. But, you know, you, no, you're right. You had people supporting me. My mum my supported me in the fact that she helped look after my kids. You know, I often blame her for when they, things go wrong. You raised my children poorly. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, so look, but it it is about people and and there is no one that be listening to this that hasn't had a business or got a business or works in any sort of corporate environment that don't know the power of team and don't know the power of having the greatest people around you. And my greatest joys have been people and my greatest fears or disasters have been people. Tell me about this idea that I read about from you called the no dickhead policy. What does that mean? It means just, and this isn't just in business, I reckon everyone should have a no dickhead policy in their life. You know, seriously, just, if you, and we've all have them, they're the vampires that suck all our energy and suck all our happy and suck all our joy. It's not the lunch that you have with a girlfriend, you leave positive, you leave like you've been hit by a bus, you know. So you've just got to make sure the older you get, the more you can see them and the more you can avoid them. And so in life, I have the smallest amount of friends and I love them desperately. And, you know, in business, you know, I don't care how good a business is on Shark Tank. If I think that the DH is looking at me, I don't care how much money I can make because I don't need them in my life. Is it a gut feeling? It, it it is. It's what they say. It's how they it's how they answer questions. It's it's a um, look. It's nothing's wrong with unbridled arrogance, but it's the well. If you think you know everything already, you have the inability to learn. You have the inability to change. And so I find that's one of the hardest things with regard to um, those people. But, you know, I've been in meetings, in board meetings, and they think that they know everything. And you just roll your eyes and you go, you know what, use your ears. Didn't you have a board experience, something where somebody didn't even know anything about your business and wanted to be on your board? Oh, yeah, the consultant who was going to come on the board. And I remember one time he just talked and didn't take a breath. And I turned to him and went, shh. And he went, no one's ever told me to shh. He said, no, actually, that's not true. My wife tells me to that. I said, we should listen to her. I said, learn about a business first, then come in and help. That's that's the best thing about it. But it's people. You know, my first business I had was actually not even Boost. It was another juice bar. And the guys I actually worked with, when I did all the work, and I was the woman that stayed at home, but they were so chauvinistic that when we actually got to the end after opening this this store and we sat around the table and we said, who was going to run this business going forward? When one of the partners said, oh, it's Janine, they actually laughed. And I'm going, mate, I'm in the room. <laughs> Can you at least do it while I'm not in the room? It, they were thinking as if a woman that stays home and has no experience, and in fairness to them, I had no experience, but guess who got the store up and running, could even be contemplate to, to run the business. So it was that arrogance of, and it was probably the first time I sort of felt that, oh my God, it's because they look at their wives and sisters and go, they can't do it. So they've put me in that category. So, you know, and quickly, you know, the no dickhead policy had kicked in and we were out of there, you know, as quick as out of that relationship. Yeah, it's interesting. But asking you, Margie, though, one of the things that I've come across with a lot of women I've come across is that they say that they get intimidated by men in a room, and I say it's their it's their issue. But how do you find? Because you with you deal with some of the top 
executives and women in Australia in in business. So how do you find they're dealing with these issues? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's a, it's all situational, but lots of women and men find those the relationships are some of the most difficult things that derail them, the people part. It's not actually the task at hand. It's not the papers or the policies that they need to fill out. It's not the numbers. It's teamwork. It's working with others. It's the relationships that you have. So you've got to look at yourself, but you've also got to look at how you're having those relationships. So that's all part of the coaching that we do um, with executives to try and get better outcomes. And the reality is that sometimes you are surrounded by people who are really difficult, who you would call the dickheads, and you've got to make a call whether to leave or to stay. Mm. My theory, though, is if you leave, you're always going to find someone else like that around the corner. So learning how to deal with people like that and then learn about self-belief within the framework of difficult situations is really important, really, really important. Some of the women that I work with and some of the men, we talk about creating a personal board. And as you were talking about surrounding yourself in your business at Boost Juice with great people, people who support you, believe in it, challenge you, take you, come with you on the journey but aren't putting obstacles in your way... We talk to people in business about surrounding themselves with a personal board. Mm. That board, that personal board might be someone who challenges you, someone who puts you outside your comfort zone, someone who's there to support you, someone else to advise you, someone who's always going to ask the difficult question and the people in your life that you trust and that know you have your back. And it's really that um, you don't want people around you that tells you you're always great all the time. Mm-mm. You want that honesty to say, you know what, you've got, you know, you've got something in your tooth. <laughs> I do. It's, yeah, and it's even in senior positions, you know, when you've got a team and you settle for average people, well, your team is only good as your, you know, pretty much your lowest common denominator. And, and sometimes people just aren't into the business. No, and when you say no dickheads, I think it's important for people to realise that you're not saying... No people who don't who challenge me. No people who disagree within me. It's not that I don't want any people who are. Um, you don't want yes people all the time. You just want people with the right attitude, mm. right work ethic, and who are actually got the right um, belief yeah. to to back you in your business because it's your money. Yeah. <laughs> And your time and your energy and your idea. And so I think this is so important when you say, you know, people are so, so important. The, the person I would class as, as, as is that DH, is people that ha- lack integrity, people that lie, people that say they're going to do something and don't do it, people that um, blame everyone else, people think that they're entitled for things. So they're, they're the people that I don't want in my life and people who just sit there and tell you problems instead of finding solutions. So, you know, so, and, you know, it, it might it might be harsh, but if you sort of have that in your little head, do I want to play with this person going forward? Well, you know, the answer is no. And the reality is you don't have to like the people that you work with. It, they just have to fit into the team that you want to work. And the last thing you want to do is hire people the same as you. It's actually understanding that the best teams are a group of different people with different skills. And do you find with some of the executives that you're dealing with, do they get that? or is Yeah. And look, the, one of my favourite um, articles of all time is from the New York Times um, about Google. And Google tried to find the algorithm for the perfect team. They spent five years and $5 million looking at how can we create the perfect team? Because if they got that right, then 
they got all businesses right, mm-hmm. which is exactly to your point around it's all about people. Yeah. And that's instinctive for you. So there's $5 million, I'm sure it was more money, and five years. God, I wish they'd given me a call, Janine, at the beginning because and the $5 million check. Hey, because, we could have been so much cheaper than that. <laughs> because, I oh, know I would have taken the $5 million. Uh, I Seriously, <laughs> they um, came up with something that will seem really obvious having talked about what we've talked about this morning, but it was around the idea of agreed behaviours, mm. agreed norms, the normative behaviour, how we connect, how we agree. So I work with a team at the moment of um, um, people in um, tech and they're quite happy not to speak to each other all day for most of the week and they get together at three o'clock on a Friday and no technology and have about an hour together and then they go, we're going home now. They don't over or hyper connect because it suits them. But they're agreed on that behaviour, super high-performing team. Then mm-hmm. on another team, seriously, they show, throw shoes at each other, they swear. HR would have a like a pink fit, but they've agreed and they've locked down and their behaviour suits what they do mm. and they're super high-performing. So again... Absolutely to your point, all the theories point to and prove that it is all about your people and how you agree that you behave, the normative behaviour. And I think it's sometimes, yeah, if if I was listening to this, if you stop and think in your own world, who are you surrounded with in work? Who are you surrounded with in life? And who makes you feel great and who brings you down? And they're pretty much the easy ways of actually working out who you want in your life. And if you've got your own business and you're settling for mediocrity, and in the reality, we always do. You know why? Because it's hard to recruit. It's hard to train. And you know what? They do just enough to get by. But if you settle for that, that's actually what your business is. So tell me about the idea of finding a partner because lots of people, and I don't mean a life partner, you've mm. hit the jackpot in that area Some with days. Jeff, but <laughs> I'm thinking about day. a business partner because so many times people say to me, oh, I'm looking for a business partner, I've got somebody and it's my best friend mm. or um, I've got someone I think they'd be really great to work with. It's my sister. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you know, business partners are really hard and you should take taking on a business partner as seriously as a a husband and wife. Oh, wow, that's well, interesting it's analogy. Easy, well, it's not only is easier to get rid of a, a husband than it is probably a business partner. So, you know, so in actual fact, you've got to understand that business goes through ups and downs. So you want to be able to sit in front of a partner and go, let's work this out together. But you always start as if it's going to end badly. So in other words, if you get involved with siblings or friends, what's your exit strategy? What happens when, because you know what, you might have your best friend forever, but you might have different work ethics. You still love them, but you may, in a business environment, just think differently. So when we consider this idea of starting out the business with a great idea, and you're talking about people planning and courage, the people bit's really important. Getting it wrong could be a disaster for the whole project or the business. Surrounding yourself with people you trust and who's supportive and then hiring good people. So it's people, people, people. And finding a business partner, watch out for, I love the line of marry well, but really means that you can, this is your life partner in business and it's harder to divorce a business partner than it is a real life um, partner. It's a a really critical choice in business. So fantastic. Janine, I'm really interested, if you're starting out though, what if you can't afford what if you can't afford to find the right people or pay the right people? What do you do? 
Oh, look, the reality is when you start out in business, business is a a black hole of expenses. So income's really hard. The reality is the last person that always gets paid is yourself. You know, you want to you want to stop working a, a forty hour week to work a hundred hours a week and not get paid. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's starting your own business. That's the reality. I didn't get paid for three years. I got yeah. I worked for free for three years and five million dollars worth of liability under my name on top of that. Did I've, you eat a lot of smoothies? Drink a lot of smoothies? Yeah, and mate. The product was great. <laughs> it was fantastic. Thank God for the good product. So you have to be creative. So you go. I haven't got a lot of money to hire people, but I need great people. So for me, it was you know. It's some of the early early people got equity, you know. So you go, okay, well, oh, you'll get. Uh, I know you're worth a hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to give you fifty, and let's use that fifty thousand dollars, and we'll put that into the business. And so you can do things like that, which, to be honest, can be worth a hell of a lot more than the fifty thousand dollars. In actual fact, in the case of my first employee, that fifty thousand dollars was worth about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And and also they have ownership. So there's a lot of multiple things that comes with that. I was gonna say there's a whole sense of accountability oh. to succeed then too mm. if with with equity. Yeah. Oh exactly. Janine, we're talking about starting out and this episode's all about people planning and courage. You mentioned earlier four out of five businesses fail. And so there are fundamentals we must all aim to achieve to help us get this exactly right. So what interests me is you apply equal emphasis on the importance of planning as you do to people. You wouldn't get in a car and start the engine without you knowing the destination. So with people and with planning, know where you're going and work back from there. And the amount of times I sit into meetings and people talk about it, I go, well, stop. What's success look like? What is it? What does the end goal look like? And if you understand that, you have a very clear vision of that, then you come back all the way back to here and then you plan for it. So growing companies is hard. You know, we know that the goalposts do move constantly. Um, You can't always know what's ahead. I think the, the terminology is the game always changes. But I'm really interested about the boost journey and how you manage to plan when things were changing constantly as you were evolving the business. So for us in the early days, we stopped every six months and went away for two days. And we went, where do we want to be? How are we going to get there? And what do we need? And so some of it was people, right? We didn't have enough money in there, so we were going to get the money. How are we going to do it? You know, anyone listening here, if you want money, go to the bank when you don't need it. So plan ahead. So if you're planning this great launch in six months' time and you know you need that money, then plan now for it. Mm. Ask the bank now for it. Ask ask investors now when it's all blue sky and you don't have to prove anything. It's interesting because I think a lot of people that I encounter think that it's all the fun and the idea and the hype and the excitement feels so great. And you've got the big dream, as you said in the beginning, and the vision. And the planning is kind of boring. People say um, you're an entrepreneur, Janine. You know, and I go, oh, I hope I'm not because entrepreneurs actually in a lot of respects are very poor business people. And the reason being is exactly what you said. They get so caught up in the product and the idea and they, they'll talk about the logo and how exciting the logo is and the outfit they're going to wear and the you know all of these things. But they forget about the the infrastructure and the foundation and the finances and the numbers and the and the trademarks and all the things that you need to do, and this is all about starting out, to actually start out. 
And that's the fun. That's that's the boring stuff. Can't I get an accountant to do that? And yeah, and that's where people fall over because they get so caught up in the pretty pictures and the bright lights. And that's what an entrepreneur goes. Oh, another bright light over here. You know, they get caught up with that, that they forget to get make sure that they've got a great grounding. Mm-hmm. And and that's when you go over to planning. You know, start at the beginning. You know, how do you need to build this house? If you're going to build a house, you need great foundations. Mm. Great, great, fantastic. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because so many times that um, just the smallest things can catch you out. I know in my business, um, you know, all the facilitation, speaking, coaching, I forgot for the first three or four years to check about the business planning cycle and the budgeting cycle of my clients. So I'd be all excited. They'd be all excited. We'd be ready to roll out a large scale, you know, quality conversation or coaching program. And then nobody had any money. So silly old me didn't actually, it took me three or four years to really work that out. You're so not quick, are you? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I was overexcited by my ideas. So there you go. But I think it is really important um, for everybody listening to remember this, the words plan to succeed. No, you have to. Look, I look at my first business plan and it was a bit of a marketing plan with tokenistic numbers at the back. And... But I, and I remember another time when we were sitting around doing a planning session in a boardroom, and you know the board the board turned around and we went, okay, let's. Um, we had I think I don't know twenty stores. They said, okay, what how's it going to look like in you know two years time? Okay, we're going to have a hundred stores in two years time, and they went, yes, we're going to do a hundred, and they were all very proud of themselves because we all said this big number one hundred. I'm sitting there going. Yeah, who's the bunny that's going to have to make them happen? You know, who's the bunny that's going to make that work? Mm. You know, me. Mm. And, you know, at that stage I had a great Dane and, you know, a part-time bookkeeper and, you know, one other girl doing franchising and that was kind of it. But you just do it. Sometimes when you sort of... So did you go with 100 stores? Yeah, we did. did we exceeded. Yeah, we did. We went from zero to 100 stores in four years. That's phenomenal. That's, that stores built operating in four years, mm. and and you know, and then you know what I'm looking forward to in other in other episodes is is talking about when it all went wrong because with that growth also comes cracks because you know maybe I didn't have my foundation so so perfect, mm. you know maybe I hadn't hired the right people, maybe you know I hadn't did all the things that you sh- I should have done. Which is great. So in this episode, talking about the people and helping people who might be starting out themselves to focus on those things that that emerged with growth, Mm. um, like the lack of planning. So to get where you want to go, you have to make a plan. No, you do. You do. And it, it's it's a fundamental and it's one, again, those you know, boring things. But also I think if you create a plan, you then can communicate the plan. And the power of the masses is enormous. If you've got your team all understanding the direction you're going, all understanding the vision, it's so much easier to get there than someone thinking you're going left and someone thinking you're going right and someone thinking you're going, you know, and so just keeping that clarity, that's good leadership too. You Absolutely. know, so have clarity on your plan. I've got this um, model that I use with my clients called clarity and connection. And just the, if you've got high connection and high clarity in your business mm. or in your team, then you're likely to succeed. And so then you sit down and ask yourself, you know, in my business or my executive team or whatever I'm doing, have I got clarity? Does, you know, quite often we sit down, we roll our eyes because our team hasn't done the right thing, but let's have a look in the mirror. Have we communicated effectively? Mm. You know, and quite often the issue is us. And I, I must admit, I have this little theory. If someone does something in, in my eyes that's wrong, I first of all foremost go, it must have been my communication. I then redo it if it happens again. 
I go, okay, maybe it's not, it's still my communication and I'll get them to repeat what I've said so I know I've actually communicated well. Mm. Three strikes, baby, you're out. <laughs> you know, so there's a point, there always has to be a point where there's no one out there who has a business that says, I wish I hung onto them longer. You know, people sort of think this word fire or terminate is this evil word. But the reality is, often when people aren't working out, they're miserable as well. So just talking about clarity, what do you define it as? Well, clarity is exactly that, is having a very clear message that everyone can understand that actually they can reach that. So, for example, if you go away and plan and out of that planning session, you create a strategy. And if that strategy is complicated and long-winded, then no one can achieve it. But if you have a clarity that is a strategy that is really simple, like you might go 5250. Okay, that's my strategy. It's 5250. And it could be a football club. And you might be, okay, in the next five years, or it could be 3250. Let's do 3250. Okay. So in the next five years, we're going to have three premierships. We're going to have $200,000 worth of profit. And we're going to have 50,000 members, right? Really clear. Everyone in the world, here is my very clear strategy. It's, mm. it's 3250. And so a strategy and clarity of that strategy is if they can't know, if no one in the business can actually remember it or talk about it in six months' time, you've failed. Mm. The amount of businesses that go and get visions and statements and strategy and no one knows what the hell it is afterwards, it's absolutely a waste of money. So if the strategy says um, the goals are outrageously audacious, so you thought 100 stores from 20 stores was big, mm. but you stepped into it and agreed to it, mm. well, Talk to me about this idea of these big, audacious goals that people aim for because there's a belief partly that you've got to take incremental steps to get places and that you might lose sight of reality if you get too ahead of yourself. Mm. Uh, and I'm really keen to understand what's your experience and what do you believe in in terms of setting goals and how big should they be? Look, everyone should have a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. Everyone should have it. But that's nearly something that is over on the horizon, right? So you're looking over the horizon, you can't quite see it, that's your BHAG. That's something you aim for. I think people who do plans outside of five five years is ridiculous. A plan shouldn't be any any longer than three years. In this environment, it's it's just it's just too long, five years. So, so you have your to your question, you have your three year plan. You have your actually you have your three-month plan, half-year plan. Year, and so you have all of those plans of what you're going to achieve because it's a bit like sitting there and you're looking at the a big mountain. You go, your BHAG's the top point, that's Everest. Let's go to the, right to the top. But let's get to, you know, base camp. And let's work out how to get to base camp. Let's just talk about nothing else but base camp. And so I think that's so people need to have the bite size because sometimes if you go, here's a BHAG, people go, too scary. I'm just even, no, I'm not even going to start. I'm not even going to put the backpack on. Mm, it's all, all psychological theory would says exactly that. Yeah. If you stretch too far, 
people don't feel that they can achieve it and so they just go home. So it's this uh, exactly um, backed up there, really, really interesting. I love the idea that once you've got the big, hairy, audacious goal, that you actually go back to planning and structure, which is your key point Mm. around planning. So to get where you want to go, you have to make a plan and it's about the big goals, having the big vision, not just a vision board, having the big vision and then working back from there to be able to really bring it to life. And then there's another thing that happens now and that's actually having to back yourself. Mm. And so how do you get the courage to look up at that huge mountain and say, I'm going to climb that in the next few years? Courage is an interesting one, isn't it? Because in some respects, to do business, you have to be courageous. But there's all these other emotions that are thrown in there, like uh, fear. You know, you start off, actually, let's start with how we introduced it, which was, you know, we have these big visions and we think we're going to be be the best thing since sliced bread and we can't fail. And that's where the courage comes in. You know, you're you're beating your chest and it's, it's out there and you're going to be the best thing since sliced bread. And then it's, you find it's actually quite hard. And then, but by the time you find, because I started Boost because I wanted to have more flexibility to spend time with my kids. And I found that not only did I didn't have no flexibility to spend time with my children, but one, I loved it. But two, I was so far in debt and we'd already sold our family home. We'd already, I had already not taken a salary for two years that it was nearly fear running me. It was nearly the fear of failure, the fear that people were going to find out I really didn't know what I was talking about. So it was, but there was also that thing of, okay, well, I'm in it though. I've still got to get the courage to keep going. And so it's that sort of mix between a whole lot of emotions in there. It's so interesting that you say that, but almost like you didn't have a choice. You couldn't give up. No, uh, failure wasn't an option. Failure wasn't an option. The courage to keep going when you're feeling, you said before, sometimes you're curled up in a ball, rocking in the corner of the room because it's overwhelming. For example, you've got to open 80 stores. Mm. You've got a board seriously looking there and punching the air. You've got all of these. You've got kids at home who are look, being looked after by your mum. Your partner's backing you and believing in you and you're sitting there thinking, now I've got to do it. Yes, Where does that courage come from to get up in the morning and keep going and pushing yourself to do what you've set out to do with your big, hairy, audacious goal? Look, it's no different to some of the challenges you've had in your life. You just get on with it. You don't even, you don't think about, oh, it's going to be a hard day today. Oh, poor me. You just get on with it. You just get up and go. And you know what? It's fun too. It's fun creating something. You know, I always found that with business, it was like the moon was in the wrong orbit. And that day the phone just rang and it was just all bad news. And then the next day... Everything, all the phone rang and it was all good news. You know, the moon had moved to Saturn or somewhere it moved with it you're happy about. It was just, but it just, you felt like you had waves of good times and waves of bad times. But it also feels very warlike. And I think I approached it like, like war in the sense that, like, for example, yeah, we had, um, there was a time when in the early days we had a lot of competitors 
And the news was hit that the ACCC was looking at the claims that was made with juice bars because some of the juice bars out there were claiming that, you know... Oh, right, it would fix my um, hair growth and my nail fungus at the same time. Correct, yeah. And the nail fungus was a big issue at the time, right? So they they were claiming all these health claims. And we, we, because I'm Miss Goody Two-Shoes and tries to obey every rule, we were fine, but we were the biggest, biggest brand out there. So we were got slapped by the brushes of oh, these juice bars are making claims. So I got, when that hit out, I got, um, there was probably 45 return calls of radio stations and all that. I had to get on the the, you know, the front foot and go, right, yes, well, I, I agree that they shouldn't be saying it and we don't do it. But it's funny, I, I didn't realise it, but one of my colleagues said that whenever that happens, I put my hair in a ponytail. Like, so whenever things get hard... Going to war. I go to war. My hair, It's mm. like if I had war paint, I'd put the war paint on. You go, right. Hair in a ponytail. I don't, I don't know what the ponytail was. It's just, I don't know, it's just this ponytail weird thing. So if you see me in a ponytail, you know I'm at war. Okay. Um, so, I'd, yeah, put my hair in a ponytail. Right, okay, because nothing can be my way. We're going to sort of solve it. But it's that courage. Instead of just going... You know, is it is it fun to speak to Neil Mitchell about the ACCC? Not really. You know, but what you do is you're going, okay, I've I am in the right. I've got something to say, and it's the courage to get on the front foot. You know, it's a bit like you know you've said before. It's saying yes instead of no, right? I could just say no. I'm not going to call him back because no is easier, and so it's the courage to say yes. Yes is the is really in line with courage because no means that you don't have to change your life. No means you can stay the same way. Yes means that something has to change. And so, yeah, so I know, I know you're a real fan of the power oh, of yes. I'm a big fan of saying yes and then making it up or with all good um, effort and intellectual rigour afterwards or finding a way because if you say no, um, then what happens is you don't have an option to fail and learn and grow. And I've done heaps of that. To be honest, without courage, you can't have success. I think courage goes to even simple daily things like getting out of bed and knowing that you're not going to be able to afford to go and, you know, whatever it is, get your hair dyed or your nails painted or join friends at an expensive wine bar because you've chosen this. Mm. And it's very easy to think, oh, you know, if only I'd... You've got to really back yourself and have the courage to back yourself for a long time. I... I mean, this is this. We'll talk about this probably in our life balance session. But I chose to give up drinking because I needed to be on stage or be at my best every day of the week. And so I said to people, "I drink on holidays." I lost a lot of friends <laughs> or a lot of people, acquaintances who wanted to hang out with me and have a drink, and now I didn't drink. But it was it was a self-protection mechanism and that was that sort of involves a personal courage to be able to sit by convictions and say, for me to be at my best, I have to physically, emotionally, intellectually be at my best every day to give and deliver the product, which in this case is me, to everybody I work with. So um, I think there's courages on all sorts of levels from a really personal one through to big sort of, yes, I'll take that job. Now I have to work out how I'm going to do it. So you're saying to people out there that if they want to edit some people around them, stop drinking? No. <laughs> maybe, Janine, maybe. It's a, it's, a, it's a quick test. It's a quick test. But that worked for me. But the, these other things, a personal courage to back yourself, I think is a really, really important. And to know that there are some sacrifices along the way. And we said before, we're talking about courage and I'm talking about giving up drinking, but... You had to sell 
the family home. Tell me about that. Look, it's an interesting one. It actually ties into the fact of getting the right person and planning and the whole thing. So when we did our when we did our planning, we knew we needed a certain amount of money to get to that next level. Banks wouldn't touch us. Yeah, you know, they wouldn't touch us with the at all. Pole. And we sold juice. No one as if a juice concept would work. Seriously, <laughs> you asked the banks. They said no. We knew what we needed because we did the planning. And I go back to the people point. You know, I had the, the, the husband who not only was supporting me, was saying that we should be doing it. So we had that. But this is a house that I just put my heart and soul into. You know, we had 100-year-old poles. It was, it was a, a, a labour of love that I put into it. And you sat down, you went, all right, we have a choice. We have a choice of getting other investors in and becoming minority shareholders, or we take the courage to put be all in. And for anyone who does Texas Hold'em, it is all in. And it's, and that takes courage. It does, because yeah. I know people who've lost their homes and their business haven't been successful. And so there's always that, you know, reality that says you mightn't get it back. That is courage, not I'm going to be able to say I sold my house to build this big business one day. You didn't do it for that reason. No. You did it to back yourself. Well, that's right. And, and to back the concept. And, and we then moved into a rental and the rental also, because businesses, as we spoke to about before, you need a lot of cash and there's not a lot of cash around. So we had the office was my house. But as the business grew, I had, you know, seven people working in the house and we were sharing the bedroom with our kids upstairs. It was terrible for my sex life. Actually, my husband said once, he said, the only um, action I'm getting is laptop action. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you know, because at night, you know, tick, tick, tick. So, you know, it, it was that time of, you know, you have to sacrifice. If you're not prepared to sacrifice, if you're not prepared to go live with your parents again, if you're not prepared to, you know, go not go out for dinner every night of the week, if you're not prepared to sacrifice, don't start your own business. So what did you feel when you're living with your kids in your bedroom and you've got people in your house and it's a rental and you don't own anything but an idea and a whole bunch of debt. Mm. That's, that was exactly right. We didn't own anything really because, you know, if you put a spoof store in there, it's leased. It's, you have, we had no assets whatsoever. Look, it was interesting because it was so all-consuming. So the good thing about working from home is that I could go, my mum, you'd come over every day and I could go in and out and see my kids and I was actually still breastfeeding at the time so I kind of needed to be close. But I remember the, the particular main room, which was the living room but really an office, and we had the door shut and I remember at night I walked past that door and I felt physically ill because I felt like I couldn't get away from it. There was, And I felt like there was never a time I could get away from it because to do business particularly in the early stages of a startup, you have to give your soul to it to make well, it work. you have to know everything, don't you? You, you do. You, you are everything. So how did I feel? I felt, you know, excited. I felt sick. I felt scared. I felt elated. I felt um, stimulated. Um, I felt guilty. I, you feel everything. So can I ask, how do you get over the feelings that are debilitating, that anxiety, that gripping anxiety when you look at that door? How do you shift well, I'm a, I'm not someone that wallows in anxiety or anything. I and the, and the reason I don't is because the first time I go, this is I'm unhappy about that. I then go, well, what am I going to do about it? So me walking past that door and going, oh, it's it's I'm making me feel sick because I can't get away from it. Right. Well, change it. So. I then went, okay, it's time to actually have an office. It's actually time to grow up now. It's, try, it's, it's time to, for the business to actually 
you know, pay for pay for a little bit. So I love this idea of being solution focused and just keeping on going that you're talking about, Janine. Such extraordinary ideas for us to think about today about starting out and really to remember it's all about people. You've got a plan to succeed and it's all about courage. You can't settle on being mediocre in business. No. Look, at the end of the day, if you settle for mediocrity, that's exactly what you'll be. The planning is so important, but equally as the people. But if you haven't actually got the, got the courage to get going, well, forget the rest anyway. Super Women We Ain't is a Podcast One production recorded in the studios of Podcast One Melbourne. Executive producer is Grant Tothill, produced by Brooke Carrigan, audio by Darcy Thompson. Listener.